Hello, beautiful souls. We bring you conscious content filled with empowering information. Designed to align you with the fulfilling freedom of activated awareness. I am Rachel Alcyon. And I am Daniel Alcyon. Welcome to to the the Ecstatic Ecstatic Existence Existence Podcast. Podcast. On this taboo episode of the Ecstatic Existence Podcast, we host my dear friend and colleague, Renee Escobar. She is an expert in the Gerson therapy, which is a cure for cancer, among many other things, that has a very interesting protocol. Part of the process you're going to hear about is coffee enemas. And this may bring out your inner grade school humor. It certainly does in our house. Yeah, we have all kinds of <laughs> silly references for it, like uh, espresso, extra foam. Or maybe a crappuccino. So it's pretty hilarious, and it may stir up a lot of different feelings for you. But that's not the entire protocol. There's a lot more to it. And know that it's a real deal. So as funny as we're making this sound right now, this is an actual healing therapy that's been proven to work in many cases. Be sure to stick around till the end where Renee shares one of her many hidden talents. Welcome back to another inspirational episode of the Ecstatic Existence Podcast. I'm Daniel. And I'm Rachel, and I'm so excited to be here with all of you today. And we have a wonderful guest with us today. Renee Escobar is a massage therapist, holistic health activist, and owner of Heart Wing Massage Therapy. She's originally from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, has lived and traveled all over the world and the United States most recently settling in the Pacific Northwest for the past 18 years. With over 24 years as a professional massage therapist and instructor, she has taken a great interest in the body's ability to heal itself. This interest was first sparked at an early age when her father was diagnosed with prostate and bone cancer. Healing himself with the Gerson therapy inspired Renee to use the same methods in her own life and to teach others about the Gerson diet and the power and effectiveness of learning to be the steward of one's own health in today's world. Wow. <laughs> welcome, Renee. Yeah, welcome, Renee. Thank you for having me. Thrilled to have you. I'm very happy to be here. I've known Renee for, gosh, many years now, and you have been a total inspiration in my life. Uh, I've had the opportunity of hearing you speak publicly multiple times, and I always learn something new, and you've really been a mentor Uh, In my personal healing and growth, I have been, for the last three years, really diligently detoxing my body, and I have shed over 45 pounds, and you have been my lifeline on the the other end as I've been going through this process, because some of it is really intense and not pretty and challenging, and people constantly ask me, like, wow, how how have you been able to stick with it? It's, a lot of it's really intense, and and I, I owe it really mostly to you. Right. Well, it really takes a lifeline to go through transformational process, and mm-hmm. especially with your health, because it can be very scary. Right. Yeah. 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 I'm glad that I'm in your life and that, that we've connected in that way. Yeah. yeah. Me too. It's wonderful. <laughs> so I'm excited to hear more about you and your walk uh, with the Gerson therapy, and also hear about your inspiration because you know your your father had bone and prostate cancer and healed himself 
Yeah, we recently got a chance, Rachel and I recently got a chance to see you giving a talk in front of a room full of people. And there were so many questions. Oh my gosh, every single person had questions and then they were staying after the talk. They didn't even want to leave. The venue was closing. The store that it was getting held at was closing and people were staying afterwards to keep asking questions. Yeah, it's a really, it's a hot topic. It's one that's not talked about a lot. Right. And so, so people don't have the information that they need. And when they start to hear little bits of it, I mean, it's a conversation that could last days and weeks. I mean, we've been talking about it for years. That's right. Well, it takes a lifetime to figure out how to heal the body. Um, we're learning. There's a, there's a new trend of people taking control of their own health. And really, the idea in my head of being the steward of your own life, of everything that happens in your life, from your diet to the diet of your thoughts and the diet of your environment, what's happening in your environment, what are you exposing yourself to, all of it has to do with the body's ability to heal and for us to be present and a powerful guide in our own life. It's a lifelong process learning how to do that. Right. I mean, the body wants to be well. That's its natural state. It's constantly regenerating cells and renewing this and that and purging, and we just have to support it in that process. That's right. I absolutely love that phrase, the diet of environment. Yes. That's beautiful. Well, if you think about it physically, the environment, our environmental life, in the world, in the United States, there are a lot of toxic materials in the world that affect our health, but also the energy that we surround ourselves with affects our life to a great degree, just like the environmental toxins do. So they really are all environmental toxins. And I've learned that over time through trial and error. I'm the biggest student in this room. So when I get up and speak in front of a crowd, all those questions that they had, I had myself or my father had before me. And I'm very lucky because I learned from someone who went through a process where they had to take control of their own life, their own health without any support from the medical community. So I was very lucky to be able to learn that from someone before me. And so that's what I'm here to do is to help others who have no clue or idea or they don't really have enough information to do the same. So let's talk a little bit about that experience of your father. You were able to witness some pretty miraculous healing go down, ones that um, doctors might have even said was impossible. That's correct. To give you a little history on my father's health, he had been a pilot in the Air Force during the Vietnam conflict early on. He got out before Vietnam became really full-blown. But before that time, he was flying C-130s, and he carried out missions where he carried Agent Orange over to the theater of Vietnam in many different areas in these huge canisters. It was a powder that they would mix with a liquid later on to, as, a, as an herbicide to spread and defoliate the region. Um, it's very, very toxic, as people have heard before. And because it was in these C-130s, he breathed all of the dust from the containers. And so that kind of was how he was exposed originally. Many of the pilots and many of the crew members were exposed over years, and they say that the residue of that Agent Orange is still in the C-130s to this day. 
Wow. Oh my gosh. I remember from your talk that we attended, you mentioned that some of these pilots would come home and shower off orange. They would be just covered in that's, orange. That's correct. When right. I was working in North Carolina as a massage therapist, a lot of these retired pilots um, were seeing me and randomly I would run into them and they would say that they would take a shower at the end of their flight and the water would run orange from the dust exposure with during the flight. And so this was a very common thing. So not only were the soldiers on the ground and the people on the ground, the Vietnamese people, affected by the Agent Orange, but so were the crew members carrying it over there and the people handling it. Very, very awful, insidious poison. And toxin. our government's not really taking care of these guys either. Well, and how can they? Medically the, at all. Medically, they may be controlling what's happening to them, but ultimately people die from this exposure and we don't really have a cure, or people don't think there's a cure for this type of toxic exposure. And that's where my father, at this point, decided that what the doctors were telling him to do when he found out he had prostate and bone cancer, he was not interested in doing. It didn't sound like the truth to him. Right. And so uh, how old is he at this point? He comes home from the war. He's diagnosed with prostate and bone cancer. Well, he had become a pilot for American Airlines after he got out of the military. He got out in 66, which the war was still going on after that. But he became a pilot for American Airlines and flew until he was about 38. He was di diagnosed between 38 and 39. So, with prostate so young. And, so young with prostate and bone cancer and then decided to go on a search for yeah. something other than the conventional therapy, which he thought sounded like hogwash. Right, and he so he comes home from the war, he has prostate and bone cancer, he's only 38 years old, doesn't he have three young children at home? Well, he has three children. We were, um, I was young, I wasn't even a teenager yet, my brother was just a teenager, Right. and yeah, and so he had to do something. It's just devastating news. Right, right. So being a truth seeker and kind of a bit of a pain, he really, he really <laughs> right. did not, he was not a sheep. You could never get him to do what everybody else did, right. which was his saving grace. Totally. A totally brilliant man. And he first did some other therapies that he had been researching. He had already been researching health therapies for my mother's health. She was having hormonal imbalances. So eventually he ran across the Gerson therapy after trying a few other things. And because he had a union protecting him at American Airlines, they had to allow him to do an alternative therapy. So wow. they paid wow. him disability the whole time, which was the awesome. huge saving grace. So um, for the next quite a few years, it took before all of his blood work came back clear. It was probably between six and eight years. So he did Gerson for about really intensely for six to eight years. That's correct. And now how old is he? He is, he'll be 78 in October. How young so is he? Yeah, he's right. 77 years old. So that's 40 years after a cancer diagnosis with no chemotherapy, no radiation, none, none of the traditional poison treatments that the medical establishment will provide you with. That's correct. That's yes. amazing. Yes. And, and didn't this therapy save your life as well? Well, it really did. I'm 55. I'll be 56 this year. But... In my 30s and 40s, really, and even in my 20s, I could have adopted my father's diet. And I did on and off. Right, I knowing would, the truth I, that heals cancer. Yeah, I would dabble <laughs> in it. But I wasn't willing to give up what I thought I needed. On some level, I was still attached to the American lifestyle, the American diet. Maybe, um, would, maybe a little 
addicted, would you say? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, there's a there's a certain amount of addiction we have with everything on this earth, just as human beings, as souls in human bodies. We tend to have an addiction to the things that make us feel better good. or good. At or, least in the moment. Right, in the moment. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. And so I would go in and out of healthy lifestyle and adopt some of the things that my father was trying to teach me. I did help my health earlier on. I got rid of cervical dysplasia. I had a severe version of cervical dysplasia. And I went on the basic diet of the Gerson therapy. I didn't do the therapy deeply. Mm -hmm. Um, But over a course of several years, I did heal my cervical dysplasia, which they told me was impossible. But I told them, well, you're just going to have to put up with the fact that this is what I'm going to do. And that's what I did. Then I went through a divorce and I sort of adopted some unhealthy lifestyles again. Mm -hmm. And um, my daughter died in a car accident when I was uh, 48. And that really devastated me and took a toll on my health. And I don't even think I realized it at the time. But after several years of dealing with that grief, I really came to a point where I went through a crisis and I almost died. And my, I think my liver and my gallbladder function and my digestion was just so poor that there was one day specifically where I turned completely gray. I had no color in my skin. That was the day I made the decision to start the Gerson therapy. And I prayed. I prayed a lot as well. I think that's one of the main things to start doing when you are trying to save your life is to start having faith that you can So I immediately prayed that my body could hold out and allow me to start treating it. Implementing. Right. right. Implementing the ideas and the concepts behind what I knew was an incredible therapy. So I started it then. And that's now six years later. And um, I'm in excellent health. Yeah. Sexy (laughs) as ever. Vibrant. Woo. Thank you. And that idea of the application of faith is really important because we literally cannot do that which we think is impossible. If the medical establishment tells you that's impossible and you believe it, guess what? They're right. It's impossible. But just like your dad and just like yourself, when you say, you know what? I think there's something different. I think I can go beyond that and I can go against what they're saying is impossible. Like now all of a sudden you've opened up this whole new world. Total trust. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. I handed over my health to the Holy Spirit or my higher source, however you want to put it into words. It doesn't have to be a specific word for anyone, but we are, my belief is always that we're soul and we have to let that command be the first command. The first command is the voice of the will. uh, Yeah. Of your soul, of your spirit connected to the divine. And when it comes to health, yeah, that is the primary thing because mm-hmm. all physical ailments kind of trickle down from your spiritual wellness, mm-hmm. you know, how cleanly you are connected to source and how much you love yourself and then everything else kind of fits in underneath that. That's right. So I would love to hear, I mean, here we've been talking about this amazing protocol that has healed many, many people of cancer. You have firsthand experience with this. Uh, what What is the Gerson therapy? Okay, well, the Gerson therapy is an enzymatic therapy. Um, that might not mean much to people unless you know what enzyme function is, but live food has live enzymes. And so it's basically a plant-based diet with the use of juices and foods that are plant-based and organic um, and coffee enemas and natural supplements. 
to boost the body's immune system, to detoxify the body's tissues, and to allow any congestion and toxicity to diminish so that the body can heal itself with whatever ailments are present. Right. It's like I said earlier that the body wants to be well. It's constantly regenerating. But if everything's bogged down by toxins, then it cannot do that. It cannot function optimally. It's like if you have a sink and the drain. I mean, I feel like that image, it really depicts beautifully the digestive system with all the kinks and the coils, right? And so you put all this stuff in the sink, whatever you're eating, and depending on how easy it is to digest, depending on how toxic it is or whatever, it may have issues going through the full drain and all the way out. And so, yeah, getting the digestive system working properly and the filtration system of the body working optimally then mm-hmm. wellness can happen. Then when you talk about the sink analogy, sometimes you need a rotor rooter And, that <laughs> and just that's where the enemas come into play. Animas. Well, let's backtrack a little bit. Let's backtrack a little bit. Let's talk about how that is an analogy, like the sink and the drains and all of that. If you take it down to the cellular level, if you look at the cell function, that's exactly what the Gerson therapy is based upon is how do you get that cell function to work normally again? Because it's not. What causes that improper cell function? And basically, it has to do with nutrition, but mainly it has to do with the mineral balance. So to get your drain to work right, you have to have sort of a mechanism. And in, in our sense, in the human body, it's, it's kind of like an electrical mechanism created by mineral balance. It creates a switch that turns the cell on. And that balance is the mineral balance or the potassium-sodium balance. And that's where Dr. Gerson figured out many things about diet that needed to happen before the body could do the draining process of getting rid of the toxins. Um, And then, of course, the coffee enemas came into play to help the body clear during the detoxification process. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I would love to hear just a little bit about Dr. Gerson and his brilliance. Okay. Well, Dr. Gerson was a physician during the 1900s, the early 1900s. He started probably in the late 1910, 1920s, and he mostly treated people with tuberculosis, which was very prevalent at the time. In Germany. In Germany. He was from Germany. And he suffered from migraine headaches that were so debilitating, he didn't know what to do. None of his professors and none of his colleagues could help him figure out what to do about his migraines. Kind of like today, nobody really knows what to do with migraine headaches There's as so well. many factors, right? Right, right. So he figured out a way through diet. He started realizing that there was a way to shift the metabolism, then perhaps his migraine headaches would disappear. Well, Dr. Gerson eventually ran across some papers describing how a woman suffering from migraines was helped when she changed her diet. And that's what got him thinking, diet? Why diet? Nobody had ever really looked in that direction with any sort of physical ailments, especially migraine headaches. And so he started experimenting with diet on himself. He was fairly desperate. And eventually, he figured out this plant-based, salt-free diet that created a great metabolic environment, and his migraines disappeared. 
And I think what you just said then is going to like freak people out. They hear plant-based, no salt. What am I going to do? But then doesn't it even go a little bit further? Because you say this is a live food. So you can't just like stick a potato in the oven and cook it for two hours and like have all your foods overly baked, can you? Right. No, no. So you do eat cooked food on the Gerson therapy, but there are many juices involved. And why juicing? People want to know, well, why do you have to juice things? You know, a lot of people asked me at the last talk, can can I use a Nutribullet? That kind of a thing. Or doesn't that just mean if it's juicing, why can't I just go like grab an Odwalla off the supermarket shelf? Right. Well, and then there's that whole debate too that's really popular about the difference between juicing and um, smoothies. Right, right. Well, one of the reasons why Dr. Gerson used juices initially was it took the strain off of the digestive tract, which usually during illness is overtaxed anyway. He eventually realized that all diseases were helped by this diet. He, there, there was a process how he figured that out, but he started to learn that tuberculosis and eventually cancer were totally healed by this diet. So you're saying that the digestive tract already has to work harder to process a smoothie versus a juice. That even a smoothie has more uh, fiber. More fiber yes, to work through. Yes, it has more fiber in it. And that's the thing. So the juices are helpful, especially in the early stages of illness, to take the load off of the body and get live enzymes. Anything that was processed in the mouth by chewing or juicing by pressing or masticating would have live enzymes for about 30 minutes. They, they start to die after about 30 minutes. So these live enzymes are part of the thing that drives the oxygenation process in the cell. So that's what answers your question about why not just a Odwalla off the so shelf. Because like well, that's been like sitting there for months. It's lost all of its nutritional value. Well, actually, it may have some micronutrients. It's very possible that it has many nutrients still. But the delivery system, the food has its own live delivery system into the cells. And live food actually creates an oxygenating process in the body, which is powerful to life in general. That's what we need. And to like shrinking tumors and stuff. Right, exactly. And so with the right nutrition, the right products such as organic vegetables that you're juicing, then there's a mineral balance in those vegetables that drives the electrical connection in the cell and the oxygenation process comes from the live cell itself of the plant that you're eating. So this is a combination thing happening in the healing process. And that's really interesting because cancers especially are a cellular disorder. And so now you're talking about cellular health and bringing health down to a cellular level. That only makes sense. Seems like a no-brainer to me. Well, imagine this. So you have the right electrical charge in the cell. And in the cell, there's all these organelles that have different processes. Some of them create energy. Some of them digest nutrients. And others kick out toxins. Toxins. That includes cancer cells. We all have cancer cells in our body. Our body just regularly gets rid of them. So that's something really big for our audience to know. Everyone has cancer cells at various times throughout their life. We may have them currently, and then the body, a healthy body, is able to process that out of of the cell. That's right. Now, when someone's very ill and they are doing the juices initially... Let's say they have tumors in their body. They have many tumors from cancer. 
and their their body's in a fairly weakened position. So they're doing many juices. And on the Gerson protocol, it's about 12 juices a day. You usually need help when you're that ill and you're doing the Gerson therapy. Those tumors will start to shrink and sometimes very quickly. Dr. Gerson learned the hard way that that can be very dangerous. That can be a very dangerous time. Right. Didn't he lose a few of his patients? He did. He He had initially had some great successes, but then he got some very ill patients who had already been through cobalt and radiation treatments. Cobalt was the precursor to um, chemotherapy drugs. And it was an awful treatment from what I understand. And so these people were in a severely weakened condition, had been given less than a year to live. And basically, once he put them on the therapy, the tumors in their body started to shrink, but all of a sudden they got very ill and died much more quickly than they were actually given time to live. So, so he hold was on. mortified. This, this, is a, this is really incredible, though. So he puts them, they come, they're riddled with tumors, they're on their deathbed, they've been given less than a year to live, and he they start doing the juices, doing his protocol, and all of the tumors rapidly shrink. So what's happening? Then they're what? They're going into toxic overload? He That's exactly what happened. He realized too late, unfortunately, this particular time, that their bodies were going into what's called an hepatic coma, which just means a liver coma. The blood becomes very toxic from the cells doing the job that they're supposed to do. The tumors shrink, that material gets absorbed back into the bloodstream, and the liver has to clear it. And it can't well, keep and up. Well, and it can't, and it can't keep up. So that's where the coffee enemas came into play. And so I love this story so much. I've heard it a few times and I always learn something new. How did he get this epiphany, right? He has these clients, their tumors are shrinking, and yet they're going into hepatic comas and dying. So it's like he has half of the equation. Yes. And then how did he find the second part with coffee enemas? I know, right? (laughs) I know, it's such a strange thing. Well, he had remembered. He used to keep a notebook by his bed at night. and A dream journal. Yes. And after after this happened, he was sort of racking his brain trying to figure out what to do. Because he knew, he had this feeling that there's like a second step that needs to happen here for these people that are very ill. And one night, he remembered this paper that he had read about the surgeries during the First World War behind the front lines, where soldiers were being brought in because they had been wounded. And this was on the German side. And these doctors had to do surgeries, and they were doing these very long shifts, like, you know, three days awake. They would be awake doing these surgeries, and um, the supply lines would run out. So they would run out of morphine. And so they had to keep whatever morphine they did have for the actual surgeries themselves. And the soldiers, after the surgery, didn't have any painkillers. Sounds like a nightmare. Yes, I'm sure, I'm sure that it was. It was a horrible situation. So the nurses actually were told to keep them very comfortable. Um, And back in the day, what they did to keep people comfortable, especially if they were bedridden and wounded, was to give them enemas. It would make them feel a little bit better. Well, and that's what they do in the hospitals now. That's right. Everybody gets enemas. That's right. So That's uh, not common knowledge either. No, I know. People get so squeamish about it in the U.S. That's true. We, We don't really talk about our digestion or talk about the things that you can do to help your digestion in this country. It's sort of a taboo subject. So, Very much so. Whereas yes. like in Italy, that's common dinner table conversation. Right. Or I like know. in France, as everyone does enemas. Different culture, that's right. true. It's common dinner time conversation in our house. <laughs> <laughs> Completely, I know. Um, 
I understand that because that it was the same way in my house growing up. Well, the thing is, is so the nurses were told to keep these soldiers comfortable, and eventually they started using the coffee that was left over at night. That the surgeons were, you know, drinking lots and lots of coffee, so they had to have that Staying to keep up for them three away. Days. Right. Gosh. So there was some left over at the end of the day, and since they were doubling up on fresh water because that also ran out because the supply lines were breached, and so they would, they would use coffee. And they started to figure out that... Well, because it had already been boiled, right? Right, it's it had been boiled. Water. It was sterile. And they figured it's not going to matter because, you it's know... Just it's just going in their butt anyway. going in the other end. <laughs> so they would, they would give them coffee enemas. And the soldiers that were getting the coffee enemas, their pain levels would be reduced greatly. And so they could rest and heal a lot faster. Yeah, and they healed like doubly fast. That's correct. And so... After the war, there were two doctors that continued the research with coffee enemas, and coffee enemas became something that could be utilized when someone was ill and mm -hmm. trying to reduce painkillers. So why in the world does that work? How does that even work? Why would coffee, and wouldn't that just give you like the biggest buzz of your life? Wouldn't it be like <laughs> just drinking like a quad shot espresso? No, it wouldn't actually, because you don't metabolize it that way. When you put it into your colon... It doesn't go through a normal metabolic route in your body. As a matter of fact, what happens is the hemorrhoidal vein picks it up and it travels to the liver and the liver detects that there's something toxic in your system. Because coffee is actually a toxin. Yeah, it's not dangerous, but it is considered a toxin and, it, and the liver recognizes that it needs to flush that toxin out immediately, which causes the bile ducts and all the liver ducts and the pancreatic ducts to flush. And that dumps all the toxic material that's been collecting there and lets it out through your digestive tract. It's absolutely brilliant. Yes. So they're like, oh my God, toxic overload. Right. <laughs> dump, dump, dump. Right. The thing that I love about this is that this is ancient wisdom also that he downloaded through the dream space. You know, ancient yogic texts talk about coffee implants and enemas. And the... Now, Rachel, you used this word implant. We haven't heard that before. What is this? Because you're, we're saying enemas, and now all of a sudden you hear this word implant. Right. Well... I'm not sure where the word implant came from, but my father has used the word implant for a long time. And I, he used to be on the board of directors of the Gerson Institute. And I'm not sure if my father coined the phrase or if Charlotte Gerson coined the phrase. Charlotte Gerson is Dr. Max Gerson's daughter who sort of carried on his dream. But an implant describes the coffee enemas better than the word enema because you're not actually just taking it in for a second and then flushing it out. You're actually laying on your right side, taking the coffee in and holding it for a period of 10 to 20 minutes. And that allows time for the liver to detect the caffeine and for the body to flush out the toxins. And the thing that's so amazing is you can actually feel that biological process happening. I will often feel like a, a, a little squeakiness or a or a, a gurgle or a, a decompression of sorts happen mm -hmm. in my the area of my gallbladder and my liver. That's true. And this also may be a little bit indelicate, but you can not only feel it, sometimes you can actually smell it. Yes. Because the toxicity comes from what's collected in the bile ducts and the liver ducts, which doesn't automatically go into your digestive tract. So when you do the coffee enema, when those ducts flush, 
this toxic sludge comes out Mm -hmm. and it can be very um, putrid doesn't always have a great smell. Yeah. Like I said, I've been on this protocol for about three years now, really diligently. And the first six months, things came out of me that were just (laughs) wretched. Right. It was, it was really intense those first few months. Right. Well, so you had quit smoking maybe a year prior. Yep. I had smoked for about 15 years heavily, very heavily. And I liked to drink, and I did not eat quality food. I had, like you've heard in former episodes, that uh, I had been uh, vegetarian and vegan on and off. But not necessarily in a healthy way. Not because, in a healthy way, right. Yeah, it was more of like a convenience convenience vegetarian. Or... Right, right. Yeah, so I had to detox all of that out. Right. Well, you know, I had the same problems earlier in my life. I smoked, I drank. Um, I ate all, I ate all kinds of rich foods right. and fast foods. All the foods, foie gras and right, things like this. Right. Yeah. And I love to go out and have dinner in fancy restaurants. And, you know, you're at the mercy of however they want to make it and what they're making it with. And it's not that, that you can't enjoy a gourmet meal, but once you start to learn what live food tastes like and what organic food tastes like and you change the amount of salt you're eating in your life, you start to taste things differently. I was very afraid when I, when I started the therapy, I was, I was actually angry. I didn't want to give up salt and I didn't want to give up my lifestyle, but I knew I had to commit to something that shifted my health or I wouldn't be here at all. Right. So when I did that, I learned through the process that eventually my taste buds and my body's cravings changed. It doesn't mean I I never wanted to eat some of my favorite foods. It's that they didn't always hold the same charm that they used to. I started experiencing food differently. I started experiencing cravings differently. I really wanted to eat a lettuce leaf sometimes because <laughs> I could actually taste what a piece of romaine lettuce tasted like. It's very, very sweet. Tomatoes are brilliant. They don't need anything on them. It's not that it's not fun to put things on them and and have a little bit of salt every once in a while. But there's so much more there that I was missing out on. And this is what I found out through the process. And my fear disappeared. And my prejudice about my own diet disappeared. And I have a totally different focus at this point in my life. I love organic vegetables. I love them just plain. They're brilliant. So on this organic thing now, so, okay, I understand the smoothie aspect that there's more fiber for the body to digest, and then your body's using some of its healing resources to digest the food instead of just absorb the enzymes, especially if you're unwell. But so what's up with the organic? So you're saying juicing. So I'm thinking I'm going to start the Gerson therapy, and I'm just going to go get a case of, like, ocean spray cranberry juice, and some Minute Maid orange juice, and I'll be good to go. That's juicing, right? (laughs) No. (laughs) Well, first of all, like we said before, there's no live enzymes in something that has been canned or bottled. Unfortunately, it just doesn't work that way. Um, It's not that you can't ever have a jar of ocean spray, but you also have to think about the additives that were put into it. Sure, you could go to the health food store and get a bottle of some organic juice, and that might be okay in a pinch, 
But as part of the protocol for the Gerson therapy, it doesn't really give you any energy to work with. It's not going to have the enzyme content, right? right the live right. enzymes. And right. then why organic? Why is that a big deal? Well, that's that's a great question. And I love when people ask this question because we got to start thinking about how things are grown and what happens to the plant when it's being grown. If you take a plant that's been grown in chemically fertilized soil... Oh, we have a tie in there too because some of the biggest... GMO companies is Monsanto, which right. happens to be the producer of Agent Orange <laughs> that got your father so sick. That's correct. And they are not the only chemical company involved in growing GMO foods as well. So there's there's a whole industry involved in chemical fertilizers and GMO growing. Um, but if you take a plant that has been grown in chemically fertilized soil, it is not going to have the same amount of nutrients as the plants grown in organic soil. Not only that, and one of the most important factors, is the mineral balance in the organic soil is completely different than the mineral balance in the chemically fertilized soil. Chemically fertilized soil has diminished minerals. And so you're not getting the proper minerals unless you're eating organic and juicing organic produce. And then not to mention when if you were to juice something that was non-organic, then you would be concentrating the amount of pesticides, pesticides and chemicals. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So, and because you are doing so many juices a day, when, you're, when you have cancer, you have a degenerative disease, and you're doing the Gerson protocol, you're pretty weak. You don't want to be juicing regular vegetables because then you are going to be concentrating the amount of pesticides and chemicals in your body. So you're going to be working against yourself and possibly even making yourself ill. Right. So you actually have to use organic produce, especially if you're juicing. Um, It's very powerful. They did some study in, I think it was Sweden recently, where they put a family on organic who had just been eating normal food because organic vegetables and foods were so expensive, they put them on organic food for three to four weeks. They tested them beforehand with about six different chemicals present in their urine before they went on the diet. And then they went on the completely, they changed everything in their house to organic for, I think it was about a month. And then they tested their urine after that. And there was only one chemical present and it was in very minute amounts. Trace amounts. Trace I saw, amounts. That. I saw yeah. that little study too. Yeah. It was great. That's so brilliant. imagine if you're juicing at a ferocious rate, 12 eight-ounce juices a day is a lot. You don't want to be concentrating pesticides and chemicals in your body if you're ill. And that's the major reason for the organic produce. Plus, it's supportive to cell function because of the mineral balance and the micronutrients. And so all of this must have been a huge turning point for Gerson, right? So here he is. He has his beautiful diet. It's all organic. He's getting fabulous results with that, except for with the people that are really, really, really sick on their deathbed. Then they get into the toxic overload. So he has the dream. He brings in the coffee enemas into the into the protocol. Right. Right. And so at this point, is he still he's still in Germany when all of this? No, actually, no. I believe he. I believe he was in Austria. He had gotten out of Germany just by the skin of his teeth when Germany went to war during the Second World War. And he happened to be Jewish. And he almost got pulled off of a train on his way to Austria 
to bring his test results. He had a hundred percent cure rate with this diet. Hundred percent cure for rate tuber- wow. for tubercular patients. Wow! And back then, that was unheard of. He was kind of throwing science on its ear back then, <laughs> and yet the Germans were a little more accepting. Um, for the most part, of the diet. And so there was this Austrian specialist he was bringing his results to, all these x-rays of before and after of the tuberculosis disappearing with the use of his diet. Um, And he almost got pulled off a train but the officer that came on to check everyone's papers was so fascinated with his story because they had asked him where he was going. And he actually saw his x-rays and knew he was going to this famous doctor, um, forgot to check his papers. And he kept going into Austria. And he never went back to Germany after that. He very shortly afterwards got his family out, uh, luckily. And um, they stayed in Austria for a while. And I think the patients that died from the therapy, the the cancer patients, I believe that was in Austria that that happened. I could be wrong. It could be France because he went to France after that. But then the war expanded and they invaded France. So he left to England for a while and eventually came to the United States and started working as a doctor here and helping people with his therapy here. Was he received well here? Uh, For a while, he actually was. He became well-known, even working with some very famous people in healing tuberculosis and some cancers. And he compiled all of his research information into a book and some papers. And he brought his research papers to the American Medical Association. And what is the name of this book for our audience? The name of Dr. Gerson's original book is A Cancer Therapy, Results of 50 Cases. And it's still in print today. You can still order it. It's a wonderful book, and um, it's been invaluable, obviously, to my father and to to myself. And so then you have a couple other recommendations, I know, that are further about the therapy. One was written by Charlotte Gerson, correct? His Mm -hmm. daughter. Right. And what would be the title of that? That's called The Gerson Therapy. That's this one, but there's another one. Healing the Gerson Way is another one. So she has a few publications out. So you're going to want to go to the Gerson Institute, which is at www.gerson.org. And that will give you great information on all the books available, all the information videos available. There are some movies out there. And there's recipes. There's recipes. Um, The books are invaluable if you're planning to... Um, use the protocol in your life. However, I would suggest that if you are very ill and you have cancer or some other debilitating degenerative disease and you plan on utilizing the Gerson therapy, it's wise to have some support around it. And the Gerson Institute can guide you into finding that support and showing you ways that you can learn how to apply the protocol. And they have a few locations in San Diego and in Mexico. That's correct. There's a hospital in Mexico that many of the cancer patients and degenerative disease patients attend initially when they are, when they're very ill. Um, And what usually happens during that time period, it's usually several months that they go there so that they can get themselves well enough to then go home and continue Continue, the therapy. And there are Gerson um, practitioners that help people who are on the therapy, who can actually come into your home and help you apply the therapy, which is a lot of work. Mm -hmm. When I did the therapy, it was just doing three to four juices a day 
it was about five hours of work in my kitchen every day just to make my own food and to make the juices that I needed. And Daniel, you brought up a point earlier that's very important. The food is not cooked in a traditional way. There isn't, you don't cook with oil. Um, you eat, you, you actually don't eat very much oil. The only oil on the diet would be uh, several tablespoons of flaxseed oil. And those are applied at different times in the therapy. There are sometimes, Which is actually medicinal. It's right, medicine. it's actually a medicine. And they actually, you, sometimes you don't use it and sometimes you do use it. And you have to learn when it's appropriate and when it's not. Um, so you cook your food completely differently. You definitely don't use microwaves. No, you shouldn't use yeah. microwaves for anything. Right, no. right. Throw your microwaves yeah, out. Yeah, I don't have one in my home. We don't actually. either. So no, have it's not even just the food that it gets into; it's the entire environment of your home. Like we talked about, yeah. your environmental diet. Your home has a center in the kitchen that's sending out radiation. It's not going to be the most nourishing place for you. When I first worked in the restaurant industry years ago, I waited tables and bartended for a long time. Um, there was this microwave in my station as a bartender and I would always stand very far away from it because whenever it was on, I could feel my throat vibrate and everyone thought I was crazy and there's no way that you can feel that. We have no idea what you're talking about. That's impossible. But to this day, I'm convinced that I was be, being affected right, by so what was sensitive. happening Yes, in the microwave. Yeah. Oh, I definitely believe it. Yeah, so he was received well, because what I want to get to is the root of, why has this not become mainstream? Why is this not the way? He's received well, he's having amazing results, he has publications about the results. Right, so once he did go to the American Medical Association, and then he actually went before the board and showed his test results, they didn't accept his test results. They decided that it wasn't a viable therapy, and his professionalism was called into question at that point. Many people and many of the board of directors of the medical association decided that he was a quack, that his methods couldn't actually be scientific, and that this was not an accepted therapy. And at this point, was the treatment of cancer a, a big moneymaker like it is currently? It was starting to be, yeah. that was the start yes. of it. Yeah, well, radiation and pharmaceutical treatments were being developed at that time. It was the thing of the future. Um, scientific medicine and their scientific in that mindset was um, pharmaceuticals and radiation therapy. These were considered scientific methods. Right. Diet was not considered scientific at all. Renee was doing the, uh, quote, bunny ears every time she said scientific there. For those of you <laughs> yeah. who couldn't see it. Yeah, yeah, it was good. I know, I'm such a physical speaker. <laughs> and so then he goes uh, before the board, and they call him a quack. And basically, he he had to continue his therapy on his own without any recognition. Or funding. And actually, they sort of blacklisted him. And so his reputation was always in question. At every turn, he was fighting against this big association. And eventually, he just had to work on his own. And he still had great success rates. And he, he decided that it was more important for him to do the work that he knew was the truth to support his patients who were ill and wanting help. He didn't care about recognition. He basically chose that lifestyle because he knew that the truth was more important than anything else. Um, he eventually, however, 
was poisoned and his family doesn't exactly know how it happens. You can read his grandson's book. It's called Healing the Hopeless, and it gives you a little insight into his life. It's a fast, he was a fascinating man, and his journey was an amazing journey, and the book is fabulous, but it gives you a little insight into what happened at the end. He died of arsenic poisoning. Well, wasn't he was poisoned twice. I remember in the, in the documentary that I saw, he was poisoned once by his assistant. That's correct. And she destroyed his manuscript that That's he'd spent correct. many years And he had creating. to start all over. He had to start over from scratch. And it took him a few years to heal himself with his own therapy from the arsenic poisoning. Right, but he but it was too late. Right. It actually had done a lot of damage. It had done enough damage to um, it was just in his system in such large amounts. But it he was, was able to stay alive long enough to gift our planet with this miracle and finish his manuscript. Yeah, and finish his book. That's correct. And there's some... I don't want to get too conspiracy theory here, but there are some people that believe that potentially she was maybe paid by the government or something to keep this information? I think they thought that was true. And it's that's not an uncommon event in our day and age. There's been a lot of controversy lately around doctors finding the truth about healing certain diseases. And then being taken and out. And then being disappearing or having some strange death where, you know, they commit suicide um, or some accident and it's just out of character. And it's happened to more than one doctor in the last five to ten years. Many, actually. Right. And so yeah. this is what they did with, with Gerson, and they found... That's what of... his daughter Charlotte and his grandson do believe. Howard is his grandson's name. Right. That's what they believe, yes. And I wouldn't be surprised, frankly. I think it's highly possible and probable that he was poisoned by the powers that be within the medical industry. Because it is an industry, and industry is about making money. It's not necessarily... About healing. about healing people. Those two things should not be mutually exclusive, but they are. Okay, listen up, people. The industrial medical complex does not have your best interest in mind. Because, like Renee points out, this is about making money. And if you heal your clients, you don't have any clients anymore. So it is against their own interest to actually heal anybody. It is in their very good interest to keep you taking a pill or to keep you on radiation therapy and chemo that costs thousands of dollars for as long as you live and can just squeak those payments out. Just think about that for a moment. If you heal all your clients, you don't have clients anymore. It's not in their best interest. So, And you don't make any money selling fruits and vegetables and juicers, you know? It's like there's so much more money in... And no, pain meds and things. No, but I want to make a point here. I don't believe that all doctors and healers in the traditional sense in our medical industry are evil people. No. Oh, at no. all. They are learning in colleges that are subsidized and that are teaching the quote-unquote scientific methods that have been taught for years. The momentum got started way back after the turn of the last century in the early 1900s when Carnegie and Rockefeller started building America's colleges. They invested in what they wanted to be taught in the schools, scientific medicine. And at that time, it was practiced by some, but there were others who were doing homeopathic methods. So there were homeopathic doctors and scientific doctors. And the scientific doctors of that time were injecting heavy metals into people to heal them 
from their illnesses. Oh and there was God. always a little joke. Well, if the cure doesn't kill you, then you're healed. So, <laughs> right. you know, but, but, but that was the thought that there was this new scientific thing that was going to heal everybody. And I think that's a, that's a great idea, but science exists already. Science is in your cells. The way your cells function is scientific. The way food is grown, that's organic chemistry right there. What's happening in your cell is organic chemistry. This is science. Science in its simplest and truest form. And that is how your body heals. Amen. That's great. So before we wrap this up, I want to bounce back one more time to one of the juicier topics of this discussion and that is the coffee and plants or enemas. Just from personal experience, I've been with Rachel over the last three years as she's been using this regimen pretty regularly. And we're not sick, you know, we don't have cancer, but it still has been quite a help for her. Like she said, she's shed a lot of weight and her she gets constant compliments on her skin and complexion and vibrancy and uh, probably owes a lot of it to this program to the juicing and the cleanses. Mm-hmm. Right. And by cleanses, you mean coffee enemas. Yes. Another word to alternate yes. in there. Right. Yep. Right. Yeah. And at first I didn't really change too much about my diet. I knew that I needed to start getting toxins out and that the easiest and most cost-effective way to do that would be with the coffee implants, enemas, cleanses. So I did that really regularly, like I said, for about six months before I then started incorporating juices. Well, there are lots of little changes that people can make. I think that's sometimes the easiest way to do it. What happens with a lot of people, and it certainly happened with me because I wasn't incorporating truly healthy diet all the time, we get ill. And then we have to really work a lot harder and find a therapy like the Gerson therapy to get us out of trouble first. So you're going along in your life and you're actually not really sure at what level your health is until you get very ill, until it's almost too late. And that's the thing is if you can adopt this lifestyle beforehand, it would be an amazing thing. But sometimes it takes the experience of healing yourself to believe. And so that's happened to a lot of people who have found the Gerson diet or the Gerson protocol or diets like them because they realize that it could even pull them out of the worst health that they've ever had. Um, And sometimes it takes getting very ill before we straighten out our act, so to speak. That rock bottom moment, you know, people have them in all kinds of different ways. And sometimes it really takes like hitting rock bottom before you can turn it all around. Well, and I had actually thought that I was pretty healthy. I, you know, I, I did yoga and I meditated and I'd done body work and massage for a decade and I ate a lot of salads and I had adopted a vegan lifestyle. I felt like I was pretty healthy, actually. I understand that because I felt the same way when I was in my 30s and early 40s and that started to change. My digestion started to change. I had probably major gallbladder congestion. Oh, right. Like yeah. I was, I'd got rashes and all kinds of things. Me too. And, and, and now I look back and I don't even recognize myself in some of my photos. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. wild. Yeah. And so I think it is worth, 
noting that if you are really, really sick, you have cancer, you're diabetic, you have some autoimmune disease, what else? Digestive issues. Taking prescriptions for many of these different uh, ailments. Lots of prescriptions, even candida, rashes, fatigue. Allergies. Allergies, Allergies right. One. Migraines. It's right. Toxicity shows up in many different forms. And so if you have any of those symptoms, it's going to be important to do the Gerson therapy. And it's restricted Or to at least learn learn about it. Buy the books. Go to the website. Learn about the therapy. Start seeing what changes you can make as soon as possible. I think it's really important. You know, Dr. Gerson said that allergies, which is one of the most common illnesses, and some of them are just debilitating, Food sensitivities and allergies are incomplete healing reactions. Oh, yeah. I don't get seasonal allergies anymore. Right. Um, even arthritis, that's, that's toxicity showing up in the body, inflammation. And so if you have some of these symptoms, then, yes, getting on the protocol is important. And then you can start to ease off and be in a place where you are an IR, which is less restricted. And so right. you'll actually give yourself a day or two of kind of like, oh, I'm going to go to a restaurant and maybe have a glass of wine, and right. then the rest of the time be more diligent about your diet. Right, right. And honestly, even nowadays, even though I can have a day off and do what I want, I tend to make healthier choices than I ever have because I just like those choices better. My cravings and my desire for things has completely changed. Now, that took a little bit of time. But it has happened. And yes, I can go out and have some Thai food or have uh, Vietnamese food, which is one of my favorite, mm -hmm. and have a lovely glass of wine. I really can't go overboard with that anymore at all. And, and my attitude about why I'm doing it is very important. If I'm doing it to check out, it typically, I don't have a great reaction from it. Or but a great if, time. Or even. a great time. If I'm doing it because I really enjoy what I'm doing, just in that moment, then I have a wonderful reaction to it, and it doesn't affect me. And I know that my regular supportive diet is always going to be in place 95% of the time. And I find that I notice way quicker, almost instantly, how things are affecting me physically, the food that I'm choosing. That's right. I, yeah. yeah, I notice right away. So it just feels better to make the healthier right. choice. And you'll go through different <laughs> stages of that in the Gerson therapy. Well, sometimes you'll be really sensitive to things, and then eventually you'll lose that sensitivity, but you'll recognize the different reactions that your body has to different things. Yeah, that's awesome. And a good thing, too, just to remember is that if you are already healthy, you can always just experience some of these healing modalities and you can just try a little of the juicing, try some of the coffee enemas and implants. There's always room for improvement and yeah. greater health. The thing to also remember, and I, I always want to tell everyone who's listening to this type of information, is if you are very ill, you need to be careful that you get support and you use the full protocol. You can't just do part of it. That could be dangerous. Just doing the juices and nothing else or just doing the coffee enemas is not going to heal you of cancer. You have to actually really research this. Decide whether it's right for you. You have to believe in the program that you're using, whether it is a conventional therapy or a holistic natural therapy. You actually have to believe in it. Everybody's experiences are different. Everybody's drawn to a different path. And so if you're going to do a therapy that you don't believe in, it's not actually going to work for you. You have to really research this if you're ill and you really want something to heal with. If you decide that you're interested, 
read the books, immerse yourself in the information, and then decide that this is for you. Wow. Yeah, that's good advice. Thank you so much, Renee, for coming on and sharing about this amazing protocol with us. Yeah, Renee is available for public speaking. So if you want to know more about her father's story, her story, more about the specifics of the diet and the different protocols, she can come to you and teach all of this. And I'm all, yeah, I'm also available to teach classes on juicing and the protocols as they pertain to the Gerson therapy. So where can people find you? Um, well, you can find me at Heartwing Massage Therapy, which is www.heartwingmassage.com, or on Facebook, Renee Escobar. Renee Escobar in Tacoma, Washington. And do be sure to go to gerson.org for more information about this right. therapy. Right. It's www.gerson.org. That's great. Thank you for having me today. Oh, yeah. You've been a pleasure. Yeah. So you can reach out to me at Ecstatic Existence at gmail.com get with me for any questions or comments about the show and you can also reach out to me to work with me personally you can find out more information about what that looks like on ecstaticexistence.com and i am rachel alcyon you can find me at r-a-c-h-e-l-a-l-c-y-o-n-e.com there's lots of free gifts currently i'm taking registration for my wise woman wake-up call that starts may 7th through the 13th this is a brilliant way of starting your day off right, really high vibe, in the best mindset to move forward throughout your day. There are a series of phone calls, seven secrets at 7 a.m. for seven days. And so we'll gather for about 20 minutes, and uh, you, can, you can lay in bed and listen on the line, or you can, you know, hide out in the bathroom at work <laughs> just for about 20 minutes to really get you in the right mindset for your day. So it's Wise Woman Wake Up Call. It's only $77. Again, I'm taking registration right now. And we'll have all these links in the show notes. Uh, one other thing that Renee is really great at is singing. She has a wonderful singing voice. <laughs> and so we're going to take you out with a song that Renee recorded with me a little while back. It's a beautiful message for all of you. You deserve the best. See you next time. You deserve 16 lackeys waiting on you night and day and 32 hands waving fans just to brush the flies away. You deserve Persian maidens just to sit and peel your grapes. And trusted pearls, harem girls in half a dozen sizes and shapes. If I had the riches of Sumatra, I would give you all I own. You deserve a queen like Cleopatra to come along and share your throne, boy. You can bet I will love you, love you to the nth degree. And what you deserve just can't compare with the love you're gonna get from me. You deserve painted barges just to float you down the Nile. And when you're blue, you'll have a few just to, just to make you smile. 
If I had the riches of Sumatra, I would give you all I own. You deserve a queen like Cleopatra to come along and share your throne, son. You can bet I will love you, love you to the nth degree. And what you deserve just can't compare with the love you're gonna get from me. Who, baby, gonna get from me? Ah, oh, honey, gonna get from me.